This is Financial Recon, connecting the dots between everyday life and money. On today's show, we are joined by Jan Rogers Niffen, CEO of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide Enterprises. Many of you are familiar with Jan's work as he's frequently sought for his commentary and insights by the business channels on the retail sector. In this episode, Jan expounds upon his always enlightening analysis and provides us a glimpse of the present and future of retail, as well as the status of the American consumer. Here's Mike Malatoris with Jan Rogers Niffen. All right, Jan, thank you so much for making time to uh, discuss the world of retail with us. I think it's kind of ironic we're speaking today. You know, Target just releases this kind of action plan for the coming rest of the year and everything. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had companies like Target and Walmart just get slammed. And then on the other end, we have Costco report and the market seemed to rally. What is going on in retail? (laughs) Well, you know, I was a little surprised by Target's announcement this morning, only because I thought they had already given us all of the bad news when they released. They didn't tell us anything we didn't already know as far as inventory levels or anything like that. But they told us the hit was going to be higher than what they had originally said. But they did come in, you know, with what was it? Inventories up 42, 43%, where Walmart only came in more like up 30 But what happened was the same thing for all of these guys, right? Everybody saw all of that merchandise that they had ordered, that they didn't know if they were going to get 80% of it or 100% of it. They didn't know it was going to take 12 weeks or 26 weeks before it showed up. And then everything came rolling in in the first quarter and everybody's inventories were higher than they wanted them to be. And that was at the same time that the consumer said, you know, I really want to go out and do stuff. I need clothes. I need shoes. I need apparel. I need accessories. And I really need so much toilet paper and cleaning supplies as I did last time around. And that sounds simplistic, but it's true. That's exactly what happened. And so Target and Walmart had to take, or we're going to have to take markdowns to get them through the pipeline. And they basically told us all that. I am not one that is negative right now on the performance of retail. I would bet you a hundred bucks right now that we're going to have a good holiday selling season. I'd say a lot of people don't really believe that. I think what Target told us this morning, which is we're going to get through this in the second quarter and we think we're going to have a strong back half. I believe that already before they came out with any announcement. And I believe we're going to have a strong back half. I think the consumer is still pretty healthy. People don't seem to recognize that. I I don't see, I will be really surprised if unemployment is higher at the end of the year than it is right now. I'll bet you right now it will be lower, not higher. And I'm willing to bet we'll see participation go up, not down, because we will finally start running out of all the money the government put in the system and people will go back to work and they will come back into the workforce and all those things seem to be happening. Mm-hmm. And we know at the moment we've got about 12 million jobs for them that are going unfilled. So what's going to change that? Well, the Federal Reserve moving interest rates up following, in my opinion, what's going on in the real world be a problem and slow things down enough that those 12 million jobs aren't there and people are laying off and not getting rehired? I don't don't think so. I think the consumer can be strong right through the end of the year. They're still, even though they've increased their use of their credit card, they're not loaded up on credit. They've got a healthy balance sheet still. Mm -hmm. Their wages as a group are going up as fast as inflation. Now, their wages individually aren't. But there's more people working and unemployment keeps going down. So if you just look at total wage growth, we look pretty good on total wage growth versus the level of inflation. And then the individuals, 
even though their raises aren't keeping up with inflation. The interesting thing is, if you ask them the question, how do you feel about your last raise or your current salary? 80% of them told us they were happy with their last raise and their current salary. That tells you they're seeing at least some ability to increase their wage growth. And at this point in time, they're not really saying to themselves, but costs are going up faster than my wages are. They will eventually say that, and that would be a negative. But they seem to be willing to spend. And right now, they're still really price insensitive on the things they want. You know, Target and Walmart wound up with a bunch of stuff. They finally said, I don't need that anymore. But if you <laughs> took a look right now at Louis Vuitton or Gucci or Ralph Lauren or PVH or VF or Tapestry or Capri or Levi or Nike, um, Boot Barn, any of those players that have been running good numbers are still mm-hmm. seeing strength out of the consumer and they're not seeing price resistance. So if you're selling apparel, accessories, shoes, cosmetics, and jewelry, the consumer's like, I want it, I'm going to buy it. If you're selling things they're not so sure they still want, that's a little different. But we're not seeing that price sensitivity you would have expected given what they normally do during inflation, right? Inflation, Mm -hmm. you trade down. We're not seeing that yet. We may see that. And I was in the business the last time this happened, and we did see it. What the customer basically said was, yeah, I'll buy a $600 suit. Too bad it feels like the old $450 suit because they just (laughs) basically stayed at their price point and they traded down in quality and they still made their purchases. We're not seeing that yet in this environment. And I would be willing to bet that we're seeing peaking retail inflation, inflation at the retail level, retail stores. I'm not talking about gasoline, I'm talking about stuff (laughs) all of our people sell. It's peaking right now. And Walmart and Target have told us that, right? Walmart Mm -hmm. and Target start saying, we're going to clear out this excess inventory. And I'm going to give you 40% off of that set that you want in your garden that you don't really want anymore. (laughs) At 40% off, you do want it. And so that's going to look like deflation or lack of inflation in the system. So I think the second quarter, the second retail quarter here, which ends in August, I mean, which ends at the end of July, um, we're going to see low, lower inflation at the retail level. With the jobs, as you mentioned, do you think that the wage inflation for the retailers will start to kind of subside a little bit as well as? I also think we're seeing wages peak right now. Okay. Okay. Wage growth peak. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because Target, you know, like with what happened today, you know, Jan, like I just am having flashbacks to that day when Brian Cornell made that announcement, like years ago, I want to say that said, we're ripping the bandaid off. We're remodeling all the stores. We're taking a $1 billion charge or something like that. And, you know, the stock took a hit and then they laid out their plan. Would, Would you say that that was like, a similarity in today's announcement, just kind of like, Hey, this is where we're headed with the company and just get the pain out in front. Yeah. I think when Walmart will sell or target will sell you a dinette set 40% off and they'll sell you their stock 40% off. You should buy both of those. Well, and I, 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 I just say Becky quick, me. right. This morning just was saying she bought a uh, uh, live, uh, patio set for 40 <laughs> percent it's the same idea right? right and you know target and walmart are two of the greatest retailers in the world so is costco and so is home depot and anytime 
those kind of stocks are trading at something you think is a bargain, you should be buying them because they're going to be great for a very long time. And they're getting stronger versus the other retailers, not weaker. Mm-hmm. That, you know, there are times when you can say, oh, I wouldn't buy them because they're going to deteriorate over time. They're just this big, the world has passed them by kind of retailer. But that's not Target, Walmart, Costco, Home Depot. Those are the guys that all gained share during the COVID pandemic. They're the guys oh, who yeah. invested in the business. They're the guys who have plenty of capital to be able to put into employees or capital or whatever they wanted to do. They're companies that were getting stronger versus all their competitors. And they're all really good at what they do. So mm-hmm. I don't know what the right price is to buy them at. Yeah. But when Target's 10% lower than it was yesterday, <laughs> looks pretty interesting to me, you know? Yeah. And the, obviously, we're not making any clear recommendations to right. buy or sell. But, you know, yeah, it's a compelling story to, to, uh, to kind of get around. And you, you said something that just instantly triggered something in my head is um, with discounting, you know, occurring, will we see a movement with, the Ollie's or any of those uh, retailers? Uh, I I don't think we're going to see strength in the off-price clearance space. Okay. I think this is very temporary, and I don't think you're going to see excess inventory flowing into those spaces, even though Target told us they're going to do some cancellations and stuff, and cancellations usually work well for the TJX, Burlington (laughs) stores, Ross, Ollie's big lots part of the world. You're disappointing my wife right now. The, the, she trolls those stuff. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we're going to see that much. I don't think this is this thing's moving. Those pigs moving through the python, but I don't think there's there's that much going to happen. I don't think we're going to see much in the way of cancellations. I think they'll elect to sell most of it right out of their own stores at, at the sales prices, and the supply chain has not picked up enough to have a lot of excess ability to to grab that merchandise. To me, if that happens at all, that's a 2023 story, probably not a 2022 story. Okay. And right now, like what would we say the main headwinds the retailers are facing going forward for the rest of 2022, looking into 23. Okay. Let's, Let's think what they are facing or aren't facing, but what are we worried about with the retailers, right? Sure. My biggest concern would be if something happened that caused the consumer to not be able to spend, i.e. unemployment starts going up a lot because of what the Fed's doing. I don't Mm -hmm. think that's going to happen. That would scare the heck out of me. Or inflation really does stay around 10% instead of peaking like I just believe it's happening right now and starts down a little bit because eventually the consumer would start taking so much pressure that they would have to make choices and those choices would start to affect retail sales for a lot of us. I don't think that's going to happen. So the next scariest thing is you're just wrong on what you've got for them because we know what she wants now. She wants to go places. She wants to do things. And she wants new stuff to wear to do it, including her makeup and her jewelry and her shoes. Mm-hmm. And if you've got way too much of the thing that she's not buying, that's going to be a problem. But I think that's all going to be sorted out in the second quarter. So I'm not really worried about that. So the two things that scare me the most now, China locking down again for because they've had unusual reactions to COVID spikes. 
ever since this whole thing started, right? Mm-hmm. And if they went into a huge new lockdown that included all the main manufacturing areas, and we went back to all the same issues we had with the supply chain, and it took a while to work all that out, that'd be horrifying. Or if the longshoremen don't settle their contract and they actually strike this summer, or they start a work slowdown, mm-hmm. not really a strike, but just as painful if you happen to be a retailer. Oh, yeah. That'd be horrible. So those are the things I'm most worried about, quite honestly. I'm not really worried about the Fed. I think they're behind the curve, and I don't think they're going to get in front of the curve. So I think they're just following this thing along. I really don't think that's going to change. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I don't think that. And I don't see any way that the federal government can put a whole lot of stimulus in because I don't think they can get anything through Congress. And there's only so much you can do by fiat. Right. 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 I don't think that's going to happen either. So those kind of things I'm not very worried about. Now I'm just worried about the tail of COVID as it slithers around here to finally get back to normalization and, you know, like the supply chain things. And we don't quite we think it's all getting better, but it wouldn't take much to deprive us of that feeling. Well, you you brought up something around like uh, Congress. It kind of leads into this question of how student loan forgiveness or like here in North Carolina, they're talking about uh, fuel rebates of $200 per driver. I believe could that, could that be like a a curveball for retail in a good way? Well, certainly if they canceled more, you know, what have we canceled so far? 560,000 people's, could that be right? It's a big number. Yeah. Loans (laughs) and, and the dollars were big. Um, but that go right into the consumer's pocket, therefore right into my pocket if I'm a retailer? Absolutely. And if he would cancel $10,000 for every student that ever had a loan and still does, that'd go right into my pocket as a retailer. And what if they canceled all the student loans? That'd clearly go right in my pocket as a retailer. Right. It would also make inflation 12%, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it wouldn't be painless, but sure, it would drive consumption just like the last time they started writing checks to everybody. And as a retailer, you know, we like that. As a uh, citizen of the United States, I'm not as thrilled. But <laughs> from the point of view of selling stuff, it'd be great. Uh, people go out and spend it and they've got it. And they particularly do if it's a windfall, right? And that would right. just be a total windfall. So I, you know, I, I'm not advocating that we do that, but that would be one of those good curveballs that you get from the point of view of consumer sales or retail sales to the consumer. And Jan, do you think the do you think retailers learn their lesson from the last uh massive injection of cash if this happens and controlling their um, inventory levels a little bit more tightly or? Actually, I thought they were doing a much better job than it looked like we saw there in the quarter. Mm -hmm. But in general, they did a pretty good job of getting the consumer what she wanted all during COVID. Mm -hmm. And they did a pretty good job of charging her for it. And if you were a high-end retailer, if you were any of the luxury guys, they were literally raising prices high, faster than costs were going up. Wow. So they were increasing gross margin and their look, business looked really good. And they were not adding heavy inventories. So they don't have any of those issues. And very few, you didn't see that issue at Macy's, you didn't see it at Nordstrom's. You know, this issue has been confined pretty much right now to the, I'll call them mass merchants, the people who are selling all the things you bought that needed you needed for your household that you don't need as much of today. Right. So I, I and I think they would be they would be smarter next time because 
that thing they needed to do, which was save America, they don't need to do it anymore. I mean, they did that because of COVID. If we put a bunch more money in and all we're doing is just spending it, we're not going to be spending it on all those things. We're going to be spending it on whatever we want to wear or wherever mm-hmm. we want to go. So I don't think that would cause a big inventory problem like we just saw in the second quarter. Okay. And something else that you mentioned was about the longshoremen and and the ports and, you know, how are the retailers navigating that whole issue? Because what was it? Shanghai at one point, a couple of weeks ago had a say 150 ships sitting off of it. And I mean, all that stuff is eventually coming. You, you figure a large majority of it's coming back to the West coast ports and so forth. Yeah. How, how are they going to, or dealing with it or make, making plans to deal with the uh, logistics in the future? Well, six weeks from now, we're going to have a big problem at the port, right? For the exact reason you just said. But if, in fact, nothing else happens, that'll just be this temporary blip and they'll work mm-hmm. it through. And, and I don't think that'll be a big deal with the retailers. If, in fact, the longshoremen would be going out at the same time or slowing down, then it could be a long, hot summer, right? From the point of view <laughs> of getting the product in. Um, or if, like I said, China locked down again. My base case scenario right now is that that lump of boats that's coming out of China comes over and gets sorted through the system and doesn't cause much disruption and that the longshoremen don't strike. If I'm wrong on either one of those, it'll be a big mess as far as retailers. It'll also be inflationary because it will be too few goods again being chased by too much money for a while. But those are those are those, you know, I was going to say low probability, high impact events, but I guess they're not that low probability. It's the problem. Um, so they're worth worrying about because either either one or both of those could happen. And if they both happen at the same time, it'd be a cumulative effect and it would be really hard on getting all the stuff in you needed for back to school. And we would still probably have a good holiday selling season. But we might not have such a great back to school season if that was the case. <laughs> well, and, and that's that's one of the things that you know. What was it? Costco rented an entire three entire ships. To, is, is that the new norm that these companies are going to start doing this? Or I don't think it's the new norm. And even though it solves some of your problem, it doesn't solve a lot of your problem because you still got to get the thing in the port and unloaded. So right. it did get you a ship and other people <laughs> couldn't get ships. It didn't get it across the ocean any faster or get it unloaded any faster, but at least, you know, it was out there and mm-hmm. it did one other thing. What a lot of these guys are doing like Costco or Walmart. If you had small suppliers, they couldn't get their stuff in containers. They couldn't get their stuff on ships. You could just load them into your stuff and bring it over. And so you had the supply in the store that you wouldn't have had because that vendor couldn't have gotten it to you. So one of the reasons they were doing that is they were piggybacking smaller vendors who weren't going to be able to have the product in the store that they knew the consumer wanted. But I don't think that's the new norm. I mean, once you're big enough, like a Costco or a Walmart, you can do some of that if you want to. But I don't think they're going to do that just as a backup for the next time, 100 years from now, when we have another pandemic, God willing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't think they're going to bet on another pandemic or a huge disruption. I do think you're going to see people shortening supply lines, trying to nearshore, trying to onshore, moving to production that's, you know, uh, 3D printing and stuff where they can do it here as opposed to do it there, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. 
you'll see all that happening. You know, they were already starting to do that with sneakers, right? They wanted to right. make those on 3D printers. So anything that can will start migrating this way. And these supply chains are going to get narrower and straighter and narrower and straighter now that we know what really happened last time. And they're going to all be looking for diversification of the supply chain. That's unfortunately a long-term process, right? It's, right, right. I believe we will now have a... Com- At one point in time during my career, we just moved everything into China every year. More production went into China. Now, I think every year, more production will come away from China, go in other places. But, you know, we did that for, gosh, I think 20 years or so that that stuff moved into China at the kind of pace I'm talking about where it just kept reducing the cost of everything, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to go the other way now. They're going to move it out as fast as they can. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one and how it ties into the logistics. Um, you know, just thinking about in the bigger picture that that whole KSU um that was a Canadian Pacific merger that's going down. Um that might that might really be an interesting thing to watch if that goes gets to go through. If it hasn't already, I, I've lost track of it personally. Um but you know. I got three kids and I know a lot of parents are probably going to be asking this, you know, how's back to school going to be (laughs) for, uh, for shopping this coming retail season. Is it going to be chasing pencils and glue sticks or should things be pretty, pretty manageable? No, I think we'll be in pretty good shape for back to school. And I think that supply will be there. And I actually think pricing may be marginally better from the point of view of the consumer, because the stuff is now here and we're moving it through the system. So I think that will be the first test of does the retailer win or does the consumer win? But I don't think it'll be based on it's not there. If you don't buy it today, it won't be there. (laughs) And that means normally the consumer starts to win again. Now, having said that, I don't think we're going to be over inventory for the holiday season mainly because I don't think that the retailers on a units basis are ordered up much at all up through holiday. So we could see sales be up 7 or 8% based on inflation, but I don't think they're going to be over inventoried in units. And so I don't think you're going to get a great deal when we get to holiday. And I think that's going to be because holiday is really gift giving. It's apparel. It's, you know, all of those mm-hmm. things. It's not like back to school, which is, kids apparel and school supplies and that kind of stuff. Um, So I do think we're going to see, um, I'll call it controlled discounting in the back half for holiday. I don't think it's going to be out of control at all. One thing, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about Jan is, uh, you know, the Walmart's targets through Costco's. What about like the companies that are, I, I call them like the newer entrance to retail and i mean that's kind of misleading in a way but like the warby parkers the the new the new kids on the block how do how do we see those entities faring with the consumer going forward well they've all figured out that omnichannel retailing is real and the consumer wants it to be that way mm-hmm. and the consumer really does want to order it on her phone or order it on her laptop but she wants to have the opportunity to go pick it up at the store or pick it up at the curb or have it sent to her house or any however way she wants it and if you don't have any stores or you're not situated inside of somebody else's store 
she doesn't really have that opportunity and she doesn't like that. And so that's why you're seeing all of the Warby Parker online only kind of guys either opening stores or opening inside of Nordstrom's or opening inside of Macy's or that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. because they understand that that customer buys more when they've got a multi-channel offering and everybody has recognized it. Macy's will tell you they reevaluated their store closing program because even though some stores weren't doing very well, they figured out if they closed a store in a one-store market, that their online sales in that market went to hell. Okay. That's a problem. Yeah. And <laughs> they figured out that you would have thought online sales would have gone up because the store wasn't there taking any of it. But online sales went down. And so that meant the consumer was saying, I buy online, but I want that store to be there. That's what tells me it's a real brand. And I have the convenience of going there and dropping off my returns there and all the things I want to do. So even if it's sales aren't good, you should probably try to keep it in some form or fashion. And that's why you're seeing people like, you know, Nordstrom's has opened these 1,000 and 1,500 square foot stores, these little tiny things mm-hmm. where you can go and you can get alterations done. You can return stuff. You can look at stuff, chat up so we can meet you there with stuff from the big store and you can try it on. And that's why you're seeing Macy's opening these much smaller. What are they? 30, 35,000 square foot stores. And now you're seeing Amazon say they're going to open 30,000 square foot stores. And they're all recognizing that that just enhances the consumer experience. And so I think the trend now will be, you need a physical footprint, you need a digital offering, but it doesn't change my view that more than 50% of sales are going to be online by 2026, 2027, somewhere around there. Wow. And in apparel accessories and things like that, it's there now. It was 46% um, in 2021. And as the stores were open, it went down a touch. But we're going to be back at 50% on all those kind of things soon. And that's just going to go up from here. It's not going to go down. We're not going to see retrenchment, even though the stores are all reopened and the consumers are back to normally shopping. We're not going to see penetration of the online business reduced. It'll grow a little slower now that it had this big bump, but it's still it's still going to grow. And probably by the end of 22, we'll we'll be back to as high as we've ever been in 2023. We'll just see growth from there and right on right on out to where we hit that big number in 2026 or 2027 of 50% of all non-restaurant stores sales being online. Wow. So you've got to have a store, but you better be really good at online. Well, I think we saw that with Target, right? Which when they acquired, was it shipped? And yeah. that, I, I mean, personal opinion is that it seemed like it was a big catalyst for them through COVID. Because I mean, I'm the, I hate going in the stores now. I just like to drive up, pick up my stuff. And, you know, that seems to be the new economy um, for a lot of things. So it it does something else for you. uh If you're the typical customer, the most frustrating thing you have is I can't find a place to park. But the second (laughs) most frustrating thing you have is I went there to buy something and they didn't have it in my color or size. Yes. Well, if you buy it online to pick it up at the store, you know it's in stock. So you mm-hmm. don't have the stock out problem. Then when you get there, if you still want to browse and shop for other things, you can, but you know you don't have a wasted trip. And that's made a big difference in the attitude of the consumer. They really like being able to buy what they actually know they want online. They're happy once they're in the store to go look at stuff. 
but they don't have that fear of I made this trip for no good reason. Yes, when we're dragging the kids along, especially, it's <laughs> it's a, a very valuable uh, tool, to say the least. One thing you mentioned, too, is about, is about athleisure wear and clothes and all that. And I was just wondering if I could get your opinion, because um, something I found uh, maddeningly frustrating in, over the last couple of years is um, what's going on with Under Armour. It's it seemed like Patrick Frisk was writing uh, the ship, and then that night he's out. I don't know if you have an opinion on that, or it's it's just something that's I can't seem to figure out. I have an opinion. <laughs> I think when you've got Nike and Lululemon that are executing as well as you can execute makes it hard if you're the third player called Under Armour. Mm-hmm. Because if you're a guy, Nike's been in your mind since you were born now. Right. And you know all about it and you love their stuff. And there was this blip where Under Armour was the cool thing. Right. But then it wasn't the cool thing so much anymore. And if you're a woman and you can afford Lululemon, you buy Lululemon. Mm-hmm. And if you're a guy like me, you buy Lululemon because I love their stuff. <laughs> so there's a whole competitive factor that we didn't think too much about as Under Armour went through its growth phase and then peaked out and kind of dropped back. And so it doesn't take much negativity like we had around Under Armour for people to just go, well, I like Nike anyway. I've always loved Lululemon, right? Mm -hmm. So I I think that that there was less right with Under Armour when it was smoking, and there's probably less wrong with it than we think. But I don't think it matters because I think Nike and Lululemon won the game. Mm -hmm. And they'll have to get stupid or Under Armour will have to come up with something very creative that really catches everyone's attention. And I don't know about you, but I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that at all. No, you know, I, that's what I'm trying to figure out is that, you know, we, we, pers- I work with a lot of folks in the Maryland DC area. And one of the biggest comparisons, Jan, that they've made with uh, Under Armour is Kevin Plank. They, a lot of people have compared him to a gentleman named Ed Hale and Ed Hale. Well, Ed Hale Jr., I think is, is his name. But the, the point being that he just had his he has his hands in so many things that they feel like it's maybe distracting him from Under Armour. And I don't know. I mean, it, it's a it's a reasonable assumption. And when you consider everything they're trying to do, build a new headquarters and then. Um, which I, I don't understand why they're doing that. Um, but it, it's just been a very frustrating thing to watch over the last seven years. And I know a lot of people feel that way. I've been, I've been negative on them for the whole seven years. And, and just only for the reasons I told you, I don't think yeah. there's anything wrong with their product. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And, um, it was, it's just definitely an uh, interesting case study um, and it'll be interesting to see how Kevin guides or if they bring in another CEO. I, I'm really worried that just from afar now that it's going to turn into another Starbucks, like where the founder disappears, reappears, disappears, reappears, you know, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. You know, sometimes you're, and if you're in retail, your time yeah. just passes. And I look at them or under armor, I say things have just passed them by. 
Yeah, and that disappoints probably most of Maryland because they're very that's their most loyal market, obviously. Um, But going forward, you know, we have all these things we've talked about. What do you think is going to be the key differentiator between companies as they fight for the greater share of the consumer's wallet going forward? Well, it'll be the same thing. Always, it'll be price and service. But let's think about who wins, right? Mm-hmm. And let's think about it as apparel, accessories, shoes, jewelry, cosmetics, that kind of stuff. Not general merchandise for the moment. Amazon is now the largest seller of apparel in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Walmart's now second. And that's not online. That's in total. They're the biggest seller of apparel. And Walmart's second. That's not going to change, right? They're going to continue to do private label and they're going to continue to get better in all those categories. I just said, you're going to see Amazon gain overall market share in those areas, even if they don't take it away from Target and Walmart, right? Somebody's going to give it up. But you're also going to see Walmart and Target gain in those similar areas because they're so good with their stores and they're so good with their private label and they're so frequented by the customer. So I keep looking at it now and go, big guys won the game. You know, if you're Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, Home Depot, you won. Mm-hmm. Consumer stayed with you. The government let you stay open. You had the most capital to spend. You had the best cash flow. You just kept pouring money back in your stores and serving the customer. And you were very cautious on pricing, even though you could have raised it dramatically. You didn't do what the luxury guys did. You didn't really raise prices faster than costs went up. You just fought the battle every day like you always have for the consumer. The consumer appreciated all that. And you gain share and you're never giving it back. And so I think when I look at the, the differentiator right now, there were people who didn't capitalize on what really went on with COVID, right? Mm-hmm. But all of those I did name just now did capitalize on it. And their businesses just got stronger and stronger. Well, that really makes it harder for, for new entrants unless you come up with something you know like Allbirds, really cool that everybody has to have and any <laughs> niche player can do that. Right. You're a broad-based guy, it's pretty tough. So the, the world has sort of come down to there's Walmart and Target, there's the dollar stores. And then when you look at the, the level above that, which is the fun part, right? It's the consumers that are buying lots of discretionary stuff, mm-hmm. people that buy it, dealers and Macy's and all that. What's going to win for them now is having the right selection and being an interesting place to shop, but having the multi-channel offering. So I look at Dictiono and they've come up with, what is it, Public Lands? That is their new format. And it's kind of like the coolest department store, but it's only for sporting good stuff that you've ever been in. Hmm. And then they've come up with the other one that's called uh, House of Sport. And it's got sports fields around it that you can test the stuff out on and do stuff. Oh, that's cool. Well, that kind of thing is what's going to win, right? Mm-hmm. So you need to be experiential and you need to have a lane that you're in that you're good at. And then you need to really execute that so the customer thinks it's fun to come shop with you and also to shop your website. And so that's the way you're going to find the winners. Like I'm a big fan of Dick's because that's what they're doing now. And I just see these alternative formats is just adding cachet to how cool they are. And, you know, you got to be the guy that has the cool product. And right now, if you're going to buy Nike, where are you going to go? You're going to go buy to Dick's or you're going to go to Foot Locker or you're going to go to Nike directly. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is going to get locked out because Nike's narrowing its focus and 
that's plenty of distribution points. So it's also going to be the guys that can win the distribution points. Walmart can win distribution points from anybody except for the high end. They own that space. You know, right. They're one of the greatest ones. If you're a CPG guy, you got to play with Walmart. Target's the same way. And so that starts to be, you know, it's not a, it's not a monopoly, but it's, it's a big, strong player that's really got a big, strong grip on a whole segment of the economy. When Target says something like, we're going to give the customer the deal here, we're going to be better controlled on our inventory and our price, and our vendors are going to help us. <laughs> Their vendors will help them because they don't have an option. Right. <laughs> we're going to see that all across the space. So you got to have the best control of your supply chain because now we've learned that lesson. You've got to be one of the best at controlling costs and keeping your employees in the store and paying them enough to keep them in, but not have it drive your cost structure so high you can't be the player. Well, who's really good at that? The Walmarts, Targets, and Home Depots of the world and the Costcos because they're the biggest players. They've got the best logistics teams. They've got the best ability to hire people and pay them and use technology to increase their productivity so that they can afford to do it. It, it does, And then you've just, you know, you've got to pick the guys you like that are doing something that's, that works because of who and where they are. Like I love boot barn. Why? Because they own Western wear and Western wear for the next 18 months or more is going to be popular and it's growing in popularity and, and they own the space okay. and they're really good at online and they have lots of stores. Or I look at tractor supply and I say, I love tractor supply. Why? Love tractor supply. <laughs> the gentleman farmer is all moving to the burbs and moving beyond the burbs into the rural. And what do you do when you get there? You buy your stuff from tractor supply. Oh, yeah. Everybody buys Carhartt. They sell it. You're going to buy all your stuff that you need for your little gentleman farm. And they're going to be a winner because that trend's not going away. We ain't going back to the city. <laughs> Everybody's not going back to the office. That's not going to happen. And if you're only going two days a week, you can live as far out as you want to live. And so, you know, you find people like that and you say, well, that's going to be a big win for tractor supply. Western Ware is going to be a big win for boot barn. So there are, there are niches like that where mm -hmm. people win. But the, but the big players that do the broad stuff and they do it well for a broad merchandising audience are going to win. Now, for the first time, we're seeing Macy's and Marshall's win again, right? Right. In the old days, they won. They haven't won in a long time. They've restructured their business. They're more focused. They closed stores that needed it. And Dillard's done fabulously well. Yeah. Because they own their little space. They built their own little moat in a certain part of the country. They understand really well. They're not big online, but they're online. And they have this great store offering they've got now. So those kind of winners are, are going to continue. That's not going to be temporary. They actually, for all the pain the three of those took during COVID, they won the game because, you know, we don't talk. We say, oh, 3,000 stores closed last year and X number opened. No, they didn't. 50,000 stores closed each year of the pandemic. Most of them were just people you never heard of. That's why they didn't get reported. They weren't from public company closing. Do you remember retailer Stephen Barry's? Yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like companies that you kind of like heard for a, a brief fleeting second, they were one of them. And 200,000 restaurants closed. Oh, well, yeah. Are a bunch of them going to reopen? Yes. But the ones that survived are going to pick up, now that we're all wanting to go out to dinner again, they're going to pick up that business. We don't talk much about the, how that changed the competitive structure because mm -hmm. most of those were mom and pops too. Nobody reports on that, except maybe your local newspaper says, 
Fred's Deli closed, you know? <laughs> yeah, the, the next door gets uh, fired up and, you know, everybody gets spun up. So I guess, Jen, I'm going to ask you one last question um, and ask you to kindly, uh, first off, thank you for being so generous with your time. What's your crystal ball saying? Where are we a year from now in retail? Well, I'm not an economist, but I do play one on television. <laughs> um, I Everybody is very concerned about a recession. And if there's a recession, retail is someplace different than what I'm about to tell you. Uh-huh. Because I don't believe we're going to see a recession through the end of 2022. And I don't think we're going to see dramatic more supply chain disruptions. And I don't think we're over-ordered for product for the end of 22. So I think retail at the end of 22 is going to be healthy and it's going to be profitable um, and it's going to have pricing power and it's going to be performing well. So then it gets us into 2023. I think the first half of 2023, we're going to continue to see the retailers be cautious on inventory, especially now that we just saw the first quarter, right? Nobody's going right. to do that again. So I think 2023, they'll be cautious on overordering. And I think the supply chain will be working fine. And I think we'll still be down at three and a half percent unemployment and we'll still see rising workforce participation. And we'll still see 12 million jobs out there that people want that or people want to hire people for and don't have the ability to find them. Mm-hmm. So if all of those things are true, Retailing is going to be in a really good spot through the first half of 2023. Some point in time, we got to have a recession. <laughs> yep. If the Fed raises interest rates fast enough, like when I was running a business back in the 80s, they raised interest rates so fast that our short-term rates went to 19%. We had to shut down our leasing division Ooh. because nobody could figure out how to price one. I don't think that's going to happen. It looks to me like the Fed's way behind the game. That may mean the inflation comes down a lot slower than it did in the 80s. But if as long as it comes down, I'm not sure we all care. And if they don't slam the brakes on the economy by raising interest rates too fast, then retail will still be good. Retail can deal with inflation is eight and a half this year. It's seven next year. It's six the following year. It's five and it's continuing down. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be the worst scenario in the world as long as we thought it was heading back into the three, four range, two, three range, whatever, over time. Right. And I see that as more of the scenario, unless there's some, you know, big exogenous shock. And I don't think Ukraine is a big exogenous shock. And I don't think the likelihood that COVID becomes another big exogenous shock from here is all that likely either. So uh, you mentioned Ukraine. So I got to throw this in and ask, but what if China moves on Taiwan? Could that be the shock? Lord, yes, that could be the shock because well, we have to say we're never going to buy anything from you again. And if we do, inflation has yeah. got to go to 14% immediately. And we've got to figure out some way to get what you want to uh, keep you happy as a consumer. That would be a really, really big deal. And I, you know, those, that is one that I do think is at the moment a low probability, high impact event. But mm-hmm. the probability, unfortunately, gets higher when we look at it, not doesn't seem to be getting lower. And I don't know, had you told me that Russia was going to launch a full-fledged invasion of Ukraine and try to go all the way to Kiev, I would have said, oh, no, they'll just be in the Donbass region. And so totally wrong on that high probability or low probability high impact event. But they did try to roll all the way through. Mm-hmm. And the only reason that's not more disruptive, disruptive is it's really only disruptive to the food supply chain, which is bad. It's causing inflation there. 
But if it was China, it's the whole supply chain. Right. Right. And, and, and it's just, you know, when you, you were saying that that's unfortunately the world that we got, it's those two fronts. You kind of got to keep tucked in the back of your head. So, well, Jan, thank you so much for, for your time. You know, it was great chatting with you. You too. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks to Jan for sharing his insights with Mike and be sure to follow him on social media and look for him on the business networks. You can follow Jan on Twitter at jrogersk or by visiting his website, www.jrkwwe.com. You can follow us on Twitter at financial underscore recon. And as always, if you like this show, please be sure to subscribe and share it. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through the Pinnacle Financial Group, DBA Flagship Wealth Management Group, a registered investment advisor. The Pinnacle Financial Group and Flagship Wealth Management Group are separate entities from LPL Financial. Jan Rogers Niffen is not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial, Flagship Wealth Management Group, or the Pinnacle Financial Group. Individual tax and legal matters should be discussed with your tax or legal professional. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal.